Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I am your host, Finn Melanson. And if you're new to the show, this episode is part of a series called Golden Ticket Talks, in which we interview each of the male and female golden ticket winners at the latest golden ticket event. We are kicking off the latest round of episodes with True Heart Brown, who punched his ticket to Western States after winning the Black Canyon 100K this past weekend. Since True Heart is probably a new name to a lot of ultra running fans, we cover a lot of ground in this episode, including his background in the sport, his home and training base in Flagstaff, Arizona, how he prepared for the race, his expectations leading into the race, his execution, his thoughts on Western States, and a lot more. I really enjoyed this one. Let's get right into it. Welcome, True Heart. True Heart Brown, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thanks, Finn. I appreciate you uh, giving me the invite and, and really glad to be here. Pretty excited and uh, yeah, just looking forward to the conversation for sure. We have a lot to talk about, but we can't bury the lead, which is the fact that you ran one of the fastest times ever at Black Canyon 100K this past weekend, and you punched a golden ticket to Western States. So I know we're only, what, less than 48 hours removed, but what are you feeling right now? Frankly, it's pretty unbelievable, and it's still sinking in. You know, I uh, I uh, took a, a, a real good hard look at it first thing this morning. I've got it pretty prominent and I just had to shake my head and, and still kind of disbelief, to be honest with you, um, feeling really good and, and really honored and humbled and yeah, just stoked. I love it. Well, we have a lot to talk about. I do want to dive into all of the details about black Canyon, how the day went, the training that led up to it, but you just came on my radar during the race. Like I was, I was watching the live feed for, you know, Air Viper running. And I'm like, who is this true heart Brown guy? A, he's got one of the best names in ultra running I've ever come across, but B, he's just leading the race outright and he hasn't given it up. So I think a lot of folks don't know who you are. Maybe we can just start by saying, what's your background in the sport and how'd you get into ultras? Well, honestly, background in the sport is, is pretty minimal. I grew up back east um, from Vermont originally. Grew up alpine ski racing. Did that from as early as I can remember. Old videos. My dad had me on skis on the hill behind our house with my mom. And my did that pretty much through high school, but kind of, I mean, was never that good, but always did real well in the dry land side of the house with cross training stuff. A uh, little foray into Nordic skiing and then really got into cycling, road cycling, and did that really through the bulk of my high school career. And then afterwards had some moderate success with that, spent a little bit of time on the, the national team for road and track at that threshold U23, but this was way back in the day. And obviously everybody knows I'm 41 now. So that was a long time ago and did that for a while and then just got away from that because I realized I was never going to be winning the Tour de France or Olympic medals in any capacity, but always loved uh, the outdoors and working out and staying active. So gave that up in terms of the competitive aspect of it after a pretty bad injury that took a long time to come back from. 
and then just started on with the rest of my life. Bounced around the West for a while after living in a couple of states, Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming, and then settled in Flagstaff where, you know, just went to school, NAU, knew I wanted to go and get a degree in forestry. NAU had a real good program and just kind of started started going to school there, met my wife there, my first year there, her last year there. And uh, yeah, it's been home ever since. And then frankly, from there with my degree, moved into wildland firefighting on... Um, Hotshot crew, which needed a high level of fitness overall, and just always stayed fit, active, riding bikes, mostly hiking, a little bit of running, and just stayed with that for years, really decades, if you will, almost. And then just a couple of years ago, started running more because I had been riding and riding and riding and mountain bike, road bike, but really kind of I don't want to say lost some of the passion for it, but it just, it got a little bit older and was looking for something new and enjoyed being out in the woods and just being on my own. And it was, I found running more and more attractive and it kept drawing me in, drawing me in and my time on the trails. It was one of the few times where I could kind of, I don't want to say tune out, but just really focus and turn everything off except myself and the trail and the surroundings. And that's what kind of got me into the sport. And it's just been, yeah, my go-to ever since, if you will. Well, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. The first is your background in forestry. And the reason why I want to talk about that is we had a guy on the podcast about three months ago, Dave Stevens, who's based up in Nelson, British Columbia, and has a very similar background. And he attributes a lot of his success in our sport and in training due to the, just the, the grittiness of that job and, and how much it required him to be on his feet for multiple hours and days on end. And I'm curious if you've had a similar experience and if any of your time in wildland firefighting has informed your training has helped it at all. Yeah, I, Definitely. I mean, that, that physical, just, um, that suffering a lot of the time, you know, there, there used to be days and, you know, I spent the majority of my career so far on hotshot crews, particularly Blue Ridge hotshots here on the Coconino national forest, I spent time on a couple other crews in the Southwest, but obviously traveled the country and yeah, just that physical labor just day in, day out. I mean, you'd wake up, there'd be days where you'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning, knowing you would literally be digging line with a hand tool or a chainsaw for 16 plus hours and knowing like it wasn't going to stop till you either got the line in or you got the, the road burned out, the road prepped and just knowing how to go. And I don't want to say turn off, but again, just that focus and it's, it, having that ability to switch that on, it's not an easy thing to do, but knowing you can do that even before you have to go there helps a lot. Um, so that's a good thing because yeah, I mean, there, there are days and I joke about it with folks that there'll be points or there were points where you'd be standing on some un, 
godly piece of line that you had to put in, put in fire line. And you're wondering just where the hell you went wrong in your life to end up at that point at that time. And knowing like, okay, like get over it. You got to keep going. And just having that is, is, uh, I, it's an asset in the sport for sure. Oh, absolutely. And then you said you're based in Flagstaff as well. And when I think of Flagstaff, I think of the who's who of running, especially on the competitive side of the sport, like the Jim Walmsies of the world, Abby Hall, et cetera. Do you run with those folks at all? Or or are you aware of them as you like are on trails and stuff like that? Or I'm just curious, just like getting like a social sense of your area. I'm well aware of them. Honestly, I've met, met those guys a couple times, you know, Jim, seen them on trails and, you know, say hi to them. And I'm just in awe of those guys, all the, the Cowboys. I mean, it's, it's incredible the the running community in and around here, Rivs, Hazen, Eric Sensman running for city council. I mean, it is unprecedented around here, the folks that are here and it's pretty inspiring, like seeing what these folks do. And even like the all the road teams that are based out here, seeing them on Lake Mary Road, just flying. And, you know, wasn't aware till really a couple of years ago when I started running and, and started looking at these trails and seeing, okay, I can check this one out and really started exploring and got it into Strava and started seeing some of these times. And it's like, holy cow, these people are fast. And, and then just the, the support you see within the, the small running community, which is pretty big, but, um, you know, don't have really a ton of interaction with them just with honestly family and, and work. It, it takes up a lot of my time. I've got two, two small kids, but 10-year-old girl and a uh, six-year-old boy and then a uh, amazing wife who runs the show. And uh, most of my time is, you know, if it's not with the family, it's definitely with work and then try to fit everything else in around that. I want to ask you a, a little bit about your training methodology before we get into Black Canyon, because I was taking a look at your Strava last night before uh, we hopped on this call. And I see a ton of volume when it comes to time on feet, like these last eight weeks, you've been consistently putting in 15 to 20 hours, but it's split between some time on the bike, skiing, and then running. And I'm curious if that's always how you've approached the sport, because when I think of other folks that are taking golden tickets, a lot of them are like the Hazens of the world and the Walmsleys. They're, they're doing it all on their feet. They're doing 140 miles a week. 24 hours time on feet. It's insane. So I'm curious if you can just speak a bit about how you think about getting ready for these kind of events. I, I love working out and I love trying to be as fit as I can and pushing myself and trying to maximize the, the time that I do have. And a lot of the time it's all based around my work schedule, family schedule, and to get those long runs in it's, it's tough. A lot of the time I can do it maybe once, twice a week, but I can get up four o'clock in the morning and jump on the trainer for an hour. I can slip out of the house at the same time to go do a whole bunch of schema laps real fast before shooting over to the office. But that's tough too, because when I do that in the morning, then I don't get to help make breakfast for the kids and get them ready for their day because I got to go straight to work. So it's just trying to strike the balance. And that's the one thing I would sometimes like to 
get more longer runs in because honestly, my feet are, they're, they're not feeling so hot right now. And uh, that's one of the challenges, but it's all just making it work. And uh, I think the one thing that it has given me or the benefit has been just keeping that eagerness and that freshness for when I do get those opportunities to, to go out, okay, I'm going to go do 30 miles today. And it's like, all right, this is it throw down for a little while. And so that's a good thing is keeping that, that freshness. Mm. So, well, let's get into black Canyon here. And, and the first thing I want to say about it, I was listening to the broadcast, Eric Sensman covering the race on Saturday. And after you and Scott finished and first and second, he pointed out that both of you are over the age of 40 and you ran the third and fourth fastest times ever on the course. And that blows my mind for a lot of reasons. But I can't think of a sport quite like ultra running where competitors in their early to mid forties and beyond are so relevant and at the top of the sport. And I'm curious, given that you've had this long athletic background, whether it was cycling or or running now, what do you attribute your longevity to? I think a lot of it is just that long-term maintaining good, healthy habits and staying just that consistency getting up every morning and riding the trainer or doing something to to stay moving even on those days you're dragging taking the time to do that little bit of core work when it comes to stability things like that and I go to Paragon Athletics here in town at least once a week and the workouts and those guys are great over there And that overall maintenance and just stacked year upon year, decade upon decade, it just, that consistency matters. And because you're going to have good days and bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, good months, bad months. But if you just keep going and are always trying to do your best, it all evens out. That's really what I try to do. Try to eat real well. My wife is an amazing cook and has really, as a family, she takes such good care of us when it comes to like nutrition, but just food, like good, healthy foods. Like we hardly ever eat out and we've got some food sensitivities, allergies, but she just takes care of us, keeps us whole. Do you sleep well too? Are you someone that can get like seven to nine hours a night? No, I honestly, I sleep pretty poorly. I, I can sleep pretty hard, but I'm usually in that five to six hour range. And that's just something I think any parent out there can tell you, they, they get used to that pretty darn quick. And I don't know if you have kids, Finn, but it, yeah, it's one of those things that you just, you start dealing with it and managing it. And that's one thing coming from working on a hotshot crew, you get real used to lack of sleep as well, but it's, it's all just part of it. And you get up and time to make the donuts, right? Well, I'll tell you, I was reading your Strava description this morning and it said that one was for all the working parents grinding it out every day with their families. And I don't have a family. I'm a cat dad. But that got me out the door running, being like, if, if he's doing that and he's putting up those results, I can go get this run in at lunch. Yeah. And that's sometimes it. it's just like, okay, this is what I can do right now. All right, let's turn the doorknob, get it done. So 
you said you're based in Flagstaff, and I guess maybe this answers part of the question, but why'd you choose Black Canyon 100K? Honestly, so I ran it two years ago, and when I ran it two years ago, it was my second ultra. The first was I did Sky Peaks a couple months before that and just did that on a whim because I had been running real well, just feeling good, but had no, I'd never run a marathon and just wanted to test myself, give it a try. I was like, oh, I, I, I know these trails. We've got a workstation. The Hotshot Ranch was right out there. So I ran Sky Peaks got second and had a lot of fun. I mean, it was a mess. Like I fell a ton. I was just a bloody mess at the end of that race, but it was fun. And I just couldn't believe it. And then I was like, you know what, babe? And I'm talking to my wife. I was like, I think I want to do this black Canyon race. And I, I did black Canyon that following February. Yeah. And because I'd heard such good things about it and air Viper does just an outstanding job with these races. And it's, you know, just the atmosphere, the communication and just, yeah, the level that the level of just energy that they generate uh, was pretty awesome. And so there was that, but then also I was starting, even after just my first race, I was starting to just fall in love with the running community, particularly that ultra community, because the passion that people have and just the drive. And again, it goes back to like the the working parents type of thing, but very few people in this sport, from what I can gather, are making a living, but people are out there giving it all. I mean, you know, grandparents, parents working all sorts of jobs for a t-shirt, a belt buckle, a beer mug, a coffee cup, but just that sense of accomplishment and to see that even after, like when I saw that during that first ultra, it was pretty incredible. So, you know, that kind of led me to Black Canyon and I was like, no, this is an even bigger one. And I just wanted to go and do it and really had no idea what I was doing, even after Sky Peaks, because that was a um, big learning experience, but did Black Canyon and actually started pretty well when I did it in 2020, but it's, and a lot of people still, and they were reminding me of it the other day, they were like, hold on to your phone. Cause I actually dropped my phone. Oh, I think it was about mile 23 or 24 when I first did it and ended up running back and forth for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes looking for my phone. And finally just said the hell with it and ran on, but ran an extra couple miles of black Canyon still ended up in seven. And then I was like, okay. I'm going to come back and I'm going to see what I can really do with this race with a little more training, a little more understanding and really wanted to give it a go. And it's hard because there are all sorts of other races that I would really love to do, but Black Canyon just being so close and such an awesome event with such a high level of competition. That's what really drew me in. And it, yeah, it's just a great event. I got to go back and acknowledge something you said before I ask this next question. Cause I think you just described the soul of our sport perfectly. And that's like, no one's making it in our sport, or at least very few people are. Most people have to really prioritize it and, and make room for it on top of this whole stack of responsibilities. And I just kind of got chills when you described it that way, that we're just, one of the things that makes our sport so great is that the level of sacrifice that people have to make just to get on the starting line of these events, let alone be successful. So I just wanted to, to cheers that. Did you get any 
feedback in your training, like leading up to this race, that something like a golden ticket was ever in the cards? I didn't give myself even like an inkling of, of a chance to be honest with you, but you know, I guess looking back on it now, there were some folks that they were like, no, man, you're, you're running real well right now. And I, I did two of the training runs and then I went down and did another one just by myself that air Viper puts on, which are awesome. I mean, yeah. and anybody I would encourage if they're going to do black Canyon, come down to those training runs, but ran real well, obviously not a lot of the competition was there, but was feeling good learning the trail. But again, you just, you never know how it's going to play out, but got some, some good runs in some good schemo days in and was feeling good. And a couple of folks were like, Oh no, I'm, I'm putting my money on you. I'm putting, I'm putting, you're my dark horse. And I kind of joke, joked with them. I was like, man, I'm not even a dark horse in this race. I'm a gray horse. You know how old I am? And, and that's seriously, I, I think I put that on my Strava description, but no, it just, so, you know, I guess I had that in the back of my mind, but I truly never gave myself any kind of a, a shot compared to, like I said, when I looked at that field, I can't even remember where I finally ranked out on ultra sign up, but I had to stop looking at it. I was like, I'm just going to discourage myself if I keep looking, cause I'm going to get my doors blown off. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious about is the fact that you led the race. If I'm understanding this correctly, you led the race wire to wire. Yeah. From, uh, I think, I, I mean, really it was like the first hundred meters I was up there in the front row and kind of got bumped back just a little bit as everybody started to push right before, uh, the start and uh, had some friends and folks I recognized up front there and just kind of stayed there. And I knew coming off the track and I'd watched the race the previous year, cause I didn't do it in 2001, that there was that real narrow section, um, of trail coming right off the track. And then there was that gate shortly thereafter that I really didn't want to be in that, in the back of the pack or anything. So just wanted to be a little closer to the front. So, you know, just a few quick strides and I was on leading on the track and it was like, okay, I'll just cruise here for a little bit and stayed in front. I was like, I could hear the footfalls and, you know, you're just hearing your breath and yeah, just cruised that first bit and made it to the first bit of single track before we got into the, the communities and the paved roads there for the first mile or two. And yeah, just kept striding and was feeling good and hit the pavement and knew there were folks behind me and yeah, just kept going there for the first, first mile or two. Maybe this is a little bit of a philosophical question, but I, I always think it's easier to follow or to chase than it is to lead. And that applies to all areas of life. But in this case, running, I'm curious, given that you led the race for the duration, how were you coping with that? Like, was that affecting your mindset at all during the race, or did you have like mechanisms in place to, to deal with it successfully and to still run your own pace and whatnot? You know, it, that's a great question. I guess when I first started going, I kept thinking back to 2000, it would have been 20. And I remember when we started, and again, this, 
that was my second ultra. And then I did another 50 K in between. But when we started, I remember Hayden took off and so fast right from the get go. And I remember being in that first pack and seeing how fast we were going in that first mile or two, it was like a six ten mile. And I was like, Holy cow, I got to slow down. And, and that's the thing. I, you know, I don't have a fast turnover. My best mile time is ridiculously slow. I honestly, I have not tried to do a mile time in probably more than 20 years. And I kind of psyched myself out a couple years ago and like, literally you need to slow down. You can't run this fast right now. Whereas this year I was just like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to push it to this first piece of single track, get through there. And then we'll just see. And I got through there and I felt good. And I just, I kept my pace and I ran, I ran my race. And that's kind of what I intended to do once I, I got through that first piece of single track and it was just like, you know what? I feel good. Legs are turning over. Just keep rolling. They're going to catch you, but the further you get down the road right now, they're going to string out. They're in the pack. They're starting to size each other up where I can just feel how I feel and not worry about what anybody else is doing or if somebody looks fresher or if I'm breathing harder than somebody else, nobody can hear that right now. I'm doing my thing. And I just kept that going the first couple miles and then started taking a glance or two back because I couldn't hear those footballs anymore. And I couldn't hear anything except the wind and what was going on in my head. And I was like, they're not really closing on me and just kept rolling. And then hit that first bit of uh, two track after the county roads and then the first gate. And that's where I took my spill right after jumping that first gate. And uh, I was like, oh man, this is not a good start. I mean, it was like three, four miles in and both knees cut up my hand and then was like, okay, nothing really hurts. You're bleeding a little bit, but keep going. And yeah, just kept rolling for a bit. One other I think I was curious about during the live broadcast and I was trying to be in your shoes for a second because you were relatively under the radar going into the race. What was it like entering into those aid stations and being along the course and seeing the fans around you? Were, were they giving you support? Were they encouraging you or were they saying like, oh, what's this guy doing leading the race? So I ran through Antelope and didn't stop. And then went to the next one, Treasure Mine. And that stopped there. And that was the one thing I've been talking about with uh, the family is um, the aid stations. And they did an outstanding job helping everybody out. I mean, just the atmosphere is awesome. But, Mm. you know, when you're the first one through, and I never realized this before, they're not in their rhythm either yet. You know, when they're trying to get going and then you're all of a sudden there and you're asking for water, you know, and um, but yeah, they're. So the first one, they're like, what's your number? And I had to look down and double check again and tell them 205. And then they're figuring out, who are you? And then I told them. And then it was really interesting about, I can't remember. It was maybe right after Treasure Mine, there was an individual that I think he had his son with him on a uh, enduro bike. 
that had stopped along a road crossing. And uh, as soon as I popped out, he was just taking his helmet off and he was like, Hey, are you true heart Brown? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, great job. Keep going. Don't get tired. I was like, thanks. And just kept running. But, but then at subsequent aid stations, people, I could tell people were getting the, the updates and the, the live updates and were tracking me a little bit more because they knew I was coming. They knew the timing and they knew my name and were, were cheering me on. And that was really, that was cool to, to get that experience for sure. But yeah, initially nobody knew who the hell I was. So you're definitely going to Western States, right? Like you accepted your ticket and that'll be the main goal in June. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I just can't believe it, to be honest with you. What is, what do you, what is, I know that we're only again, two days removed from the event, but are you starting to think about what training will look like? Can you give us any insight into what the roadmap might look like and whether you're going to double down on what you've been doing or if you're going to tweak anything? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm still letting it settle in on me. I don't have a coach, you know, completely, um, just, I know my body pretty well from just, like I said, those years of just training, working out, gleaning little bits here and there, but could definitely use some help, you know, support when it comes to that, because there's that tendency to overtrain or undertrain, or, you know, you're pushing yourself. Am I doing enough? And, and just having, having a little more objective perspective on, on what I'm doing. You know, I, I also have to be realistic too, because I've got a single, single income family going, my wife's stay at home, homeschools the kids and, you know, help her as much as I can. The kids, um, you know, full-time job, obviously, uh, with the forest service and, and have to balance that. And, you know, the, the tough part is too the, the end of June is uh, it is the peak fire season here in the Southwest. Mm. And that is, I have to balance that with my job. And, but no, it's such an honor to, to earn a golden ticket. And I wanna honor that race and all the effort that my family's put in, I've put in all the other people that want to go to Western States and have tried for years and years and years. And even, you know, the pros, the elite that flew to black Canyon and I got one of the tickets and I, to not do, do that, to give that race and the opportunity, the honor is a disservice. So I'm still assessing that let's put it that way, Finn, but I'm going to give it hell. That's for sure. Do you have any good conversations at the finish line with any of the fellow competitors that were memorable? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, just general conversation about, you know, how everybody was feeling at certain points, but didn't get a ton of time to hang out. To be honest with you, my kids were starving and <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we hung out for a little bit, but I just wanted to hang out with them and no, they wanted some in and out. So we cruised over to in and out and they were, uh, like I said, they were starving and needed to get them home and into bed. This is why I have so much admiration for you. If I had somehow been in your position, I probably would have been stretchered off the course or the finish line. No time to even think about any other human being, but, uh, there you are already thinking about like, it's the kids who are hungry and that need to be taken care of. That's awesome. 
it was pretty awesome. And to have them there and to share that, that with them, having them help crew and they were just all about it. And it's pretty awesome. I mean, they, yeah, to, it just, it was huge. And to be able to give them hugs at the aid stations, you know, was, that's what kept me going, you know, every day for, I mean, when I'm doing this and, uh, yeah. Have you ever run hundred miles before? Is that something that is weighing on your mind or do you feel like because you have this endurance background, it, you'll just meet the challenge? One, I've never run hundred miles before and two, it's a daunting task, but I feel ready for it. I guess going back to some of your, the previous questions about how I mix up my training and mm. you know, that's the, the one thing, like just worrying about my feet, if you will, and how they're going to hold up. Cause that's a lot more time and distance on them. And that's one thing I know I can improve on, but that endurance and just all those little things that stack up and trying to manage those a bit better, because I mean, I ran a really good race. I'm not going to deny that by any means, but being able to improve on those things that I can improve on, I think will carry me that much further and I'll be able to, to manage that a whole lot better because it is a different ball game. For sure. I mean, when it comes to the heat, the the hydration, the nutrition, all those things stack up. And we've been laughing about it the past couple of days because I had some family come into town to help about just all the, and they did, I have to, my family did an outstanding job crewing me, but there were, yeah, there were some foibles, some follies in there that certainly didn't help the situation. And I'm still learning this too. And that's the great thing about the sport is just it is just that human endeavor and yeah. And that uh, it takes a village too. Yeah, it does. It does. And that is what is so cool about it. And for, again, going back to it, it's just that, that accomplishment of, you know, the people that are out there doing it for double, triple the time that it, it took me to do it. And that's what blows me away. And my kudos go out to everybody who, whatever that the result was, the, all the work that goes into just getting to that start line and the 98% of the effort. And then the 2% on that day, if you will. And I mean, it's a big 2%, but it's everything leading up to it. And that's what doesn't get recognized. All that stuff that you do day in, day out to get you to that start line and then to, to go, you know, and, and that's where it all comes out, you know, and I had a buddy, he works for me, uh, who, yeah, I called him yesterday to see how he was doing. And it took him, I think 16 hours and 30 some odd minutes to finish. And he was sitting in the bath when I called him and he was struggling, but I, I mean, just for him to be out there more than double the time, it was just like, dude, that's awesome. I, to do that in the dark, to finish that. And again, it's, that's, what's so awesome about this sport going back to it is just that capacity that, that is in so many people out there and they don't even realize it, but then a lot of folks do. And, and it's pretty cool. Moving away from black Canyon a bit, in addition to all the training you do, are you a fan of the sport at all? Do you follow other athletes in the sport and what they're doing and all the sort of marquee races in our sport? 
Yeah, I have been over the past couple of years. I mean, really when I got into it and it's been a pretty steep learning curve for sure, but have been trying to learn about it as much as I can. And just the respect for the, the endeavors that, that people are doing and the past couple of years have followed Western States, you know, I mean, day of it's like that live feed and just all the, the efforts and everybody's got their particular areas of interest. Like UTMB is something that really intrigues me. I mean, that, that race just seems amazing. And I've been watching a lot of the, the ultra trail stuff that's been posted a lot now, um, that's come out through Solomon. And I mean, just really following athletes and stories and on YouTube and all the different veins from podcasts to what I can find online. And, and it's, again, it's just inspiring to see what people are capable of in and how they can push themselves and just, yeah, I, I try to as best I can, but there is a lot going on in the sport for sure. Yeah. Is it, you mentioned that at the top of the interview that you had a pretty significant competitive career in cycling, like in your early twenties. And I'm curious, is there anything you miss or that you really liked about that world that doesn't quite exist in ultras where it might just be too different of an experience or are the cultures kind of the same? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think the racing that I did was primarily road and track where it was a pretty, like that, that elite level was pretty separate from the entry level. Mm. And that happened pretty fast in that world. Yeah. You got identified quickly and boom, you're up doing this and that's great. That's all well and good, but when there's money, there's fame and all that, which is, is awesome. And it's neat because on training rides and everything, you can have somebody who's 80 years old riding with somebody who's 25 and turning pro, um, going over to Europe. And that's really neat to have that interaction. But then when it comes to that racing level and the event level, it's completely separate. And almost never the two shall meet type of situation. Whereas in ultra running and this world, it's, there's a mix of it all. And you can have the, the Jim Wamsley's running with everybody chasing the cutoff time and to have, to share that same day, that same experience is really neat within the ultra world. And again, it, it's, uh, it's, it's different, but I guess that's what I don't miss, but there, there are some similarities there too. So, cool. but it's nice just to be able to throw on a pair of shoes and just go. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, and I'm saying this off the cuff, so I'm not sure I'm going to say it exactly right, but I, we've spent a lot of time on this show speculating on what could happen if more athletes could do this full time, like all they had to worry about day in day out was just being a good ultra runner. But you've been really inspirational in the sense that you've presented this lifestyle where it is possible to have a lot of commitments, to have a lot of responsibilities to family, to work, et cetera, but you're still able to push your limits. You're still able to be successful in any life circumstance. And man, I just want to salute that because it's inspirational as hell. And it makes me second guess a lot of 
assumptions I had about like where the sport should go and how it should be done. And I hope people, when they listen to this, they realize that, uh, you know, if you prioritize correctly, you can go pretty far in this sport. No, that's a great way to put it, uh, way more succinctly than I could, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, try to find the, try to find that balance a lot of the time. And I gotta be honest, my wife is, uh, really good at helping me with that. And yeah, I give her just tons of credit for keeping me on track in all aspects of my life. Cause I have no idea where I would be without her, but I certainly wouldn't be here. That's for sure. Let's go to the lightning round here. The first question is you've been in the endurance sports world for decades now. Is there anything you used to have a really strong opinion about that you have recently changed your mind about maybe in the last couple of years, whether it comes to like training strategy or racing or anything of that sort? I used to be an all or nothing. I mean, just, you know, either full gas or, you know, not at all. And again, it, it, being a parent, getting older, and it maybe goes back to, I don't want to say the maturity thing, but just more, more time doing this, listening to my body and just finding that balance. And then going back to the resting and spending more time taking those rest days when you know you need to and listening to your body because sometimes yeah it's just not the day and that's okay to do that because I I found more and more like okay you're not going to get in as many miles as you wanted or no you're just not feeling it today you got to shut it down and really focusing on that more holistic um approach instead of that real prescribed you got to do x intervals which is how it used to be in cycling and that was one of the things that man when you're 19 years old and you're living like a monk and then you realize you're not going to you're not going to make it that's that'll just crush you you know and so here i am are there any recent books, movies, podcasts that you've consumed that have changed the way you think or see the world? It's funny that you asked that, Finn, because uh, I've got a bunch of books that I would like to read, but 99% of the books that I, I read now are children's books. And I would say that uh, there's not a ton that, that really stick out. I mean, there's ones I really like to read. There's ones my kids really like me to read because we tons of stories every night and end up always reading to my daughter, put my son to sleep first, and then end up reading to my daughter for a little while afterwards. And I can't pinpoint one book, but it's, it's always just talking about the book or what's going on a book or a story with my kids after the fact, and then seeing them grow and how it impacts them is kind of how it affects me. And that could be anything from Harry Potter to the Oxcart man, to old coyote, to Miss Rumpheus. I'm throwing out all these names and folks have probably never heard of, but maybe some parents have. But it's things like that, that a lot of my focus is now. And those are the books and things I read. So 
other than that, it's mostly work stuff to be honest with you on fire and climate and all that. So no, that's, Hey, that is the, that's actually the best answer we've had to that question yet. That's awesome. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? If it was just one message, it would just simply be good. And that's to yourself and to others. And if you can't get that, then it's gonna, everything else is going to be lost on you and everybody else around you. So be good. And you keep it simple like that. It's hard to go wrong. Well, one of the best things about the Golden Ticket series is that fans of the sport like myself are introduced to new great athletes almost without fail. And I feel like you are the latest example of that. And you're just, for those that didn't already know you, you're just, I think you're just a great addition to the conversation in our sport. And I can't wait to see how you do at Western States. For anybody that wants to follow that training or they want to follow you on social media or they want to get in touch, how can they do so? I'm on Strava as Trueheart Brown. I'm on Instagram as Trueheart Brown. Facebook too as True Brown. I will say though that frankly, before a uh, couple days ago, I and I'm having to revive old accounts. Like <laughs> I'm having to learn this stuff, folks. So I, if I have posted a picture that you want credit for that I did not post, please bear with me. I'm just trying to keep up because people have been trying to tag me and I'm like, what do I need to do? Like, so I apologize, but it's, uh, it's a learning curve for me as well, but that's where I'm at, I guess. And well, I'm like, trying to do my best. Well, like I said, it's been such a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for your time. And I know myself included, we'll all be following your journey to Western and I can't wait for race day. No, I appreciate it, Finn. And, uh, no, thanks for just, I mean, one, I have to thank my, my wife, Laura, if, if you don't mind, I got to thank my wife, please, Laura. Please. She is, yeah, she is, uh, my love, my life and it's Valentine's day. So happy Valentine's day, babe. And my kids, uh, Cedar Kasayan, you guys, unbelievable, but then just, uh, rest of my family, my brother, mom, Johnny, really, you guys were awesome. And then just the support that's been coming out, it's pretty incredible. The folks that believed in me and thought I had a chance when I didn't give myself a snowball's chance in Black Canyon. And it's pretty cool. So appreciate it, everybody. I'll give it hell and uh, yeah, say hi and uh, thanks. Appreciate the time, Finn. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. I just have the same usual requests. Please consider giving us a review in Apple, a rating in Spotify, and share us on social, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you spend the most time. I know I say it all the time, but yes, it truly does help more folks discover the show. So thank you. As always, I am your host, Finn Melanson. I am grateful for your support, and I will talk to you on the next episode.